This week on the show, we've got our panel discussion of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4. We're going to talk Episodes 7 through 18. Plus, I'm going to read to you a short story written by yours truly. And of course, it's sci-fi. Here we go. Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, a show about the collective experience of loving science fiction. Bunch of nerds getting together, drinking whiskey, and talking about Star Trek, one of my favorite things in the world. I'm joined again by Jeff, Kayla, and Tiffin, and we're going to be talking through the middle chunk of Season 4 of The Next Generation. Before we get to that, a couple things to talk about. First of all... It is time to start studying, because in two weeks, I'll be doing a special episode about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with my friend Barney Britton. I did quite a bit of homework before this episode. I read the first two books of the five-book trilogy, as Douglas Adams would call it. I also watched the American film, and I watched the BBC TV show, and I listened to the first episode of the radio play. So I'd recommend checking out any of the above to be prepared. My favorite is the books. If you read those, you'll be more than prepared for the discussion. Uh, We definitely talked a lot about the movie as well, but it's really great. It's a lot of fun. I'm such a huge fan of Hitchhiker's Guide, and it was wonderful to finally get the chance to... To, to go in depth on the show about it. And Barney is an incredible guest. We had such a great time talking to each other. I can't wait to bring that f- for you in a couple weeks. If you're a slow reader, you also want to be reading Contact because I'll be doing a show with Sarah Lehman uh, probably in like five or six weeks about Contact. That's coming up pretty soon. I've, I've got a lot of episodes in the bag at this point. I actually sat down and talked to David Barr Kirtley uh, over Skype who runs the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy podcast which by a lot of accounts is the most successful science fiction podcast out there in the world today. So it was super fun for me to get to pick the brain of another sci-fi podcaster and see what what he thinks about stuff and uh, what he thinks about podcasting in general. So yeah, if you you haven't checked out Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, you definitely want to give that a shot. And then coming up in two days, just two days away, the guys from Dead Drift will be showing a supercut of their entire web series here in Seattle. It'll be taking place at the Raygun Lounge up here on Capitol Hill at 8 p.m. on Friday, August 19th. That's going to be super fun. I will probably be there. I'm trying my best to be there. Uh, But you you definitely want to be there. If you live in Seattle, you get to meet these guys. They're so much fun to hang out with. Grab a beer, watch the entirety of Dead Drift cut together as a film. It's going to be awesome. So fingers crossed I will be there. So we're going to jump into this panel discussion. About halfway through, Jeff had to take off. She had a an event that she had to go to, and we recorded for so long that she actually had to, to go uh, in the middle of the recording. But never fear, in next week's episode, you'll hear that she actually comes back. <laughs> uh, she called me, and the phone call and everything is in the episode next week, where she called and said, hey, you still recording? I'll come back. And she made it back for the last few episodes of the discussion. So that's going to be a lot of fun for next week's episode. At the end of this episode, I'm going to share something I've never done before. Uh, I started working on this song called My Positronic Brain about an android character. And it's an original story. Oftentimes I write things based off of Star Wars or Star Trek or something else when I'm writing music. But this time I wanted to tell an original story. So to help myself write the lyrics, I actually started writing 
uh, short story. And I wrote this first chapter that I really, really like. So I thought I'd share it with you. You know, I'm not a author per se. I don't know if I'm necessarily that great of a writer. Uh, but, but who cares? It's, I really like the story a lot and I think you might enjoy it. And it's a cool look into the, the songwriting process. I've never really done this before where I sat down to write out an entire story based off of an idea for a song. Um, so it's a super fun thing that I've been working on and I thought that you might enjoy it. That'll be at the end of the episode. And right now we're jumping into Star Trek. Here we go. Captain Picard is selected to arbitrate the selection of a new Chancellor for the Klingon Empire, and in doing so, find out who dishonorably murdered the old Chancellor. Also involved is Ambassador Kalar, who has a surprise for Worf. <gasps> dun dun dun! Their son. This episode makes me sad because Kalar's name is very similar to mine, and she dies. Aww. This episode yeah. is... <laughs> Like the saddest thing ever. It really it's, is. Yeah. It's also this is another one of they my absolute favorites. So fucking Alexander. good. God damn, Alexander is a character I think adds a lot to the show. I know mm-hmm. some people don't like Alexander, but Worf having the son that just shows up out of nowhere, and then Worf being just a terrible fucking father. Oh yeah, like, from right now off until the, the end of time. Like, right off the bat, he was the shit like yeah. about it. Also, Alexander is like the cutest thing I've ever I seen know. in my so whole adorable. fucking life. So like baby Klingons, like oh my god, like so cute, so, so cute. cute. I just want to so, cuddle him and then have him be like, I don't want to cuddle you. Yeah. <laughs> so something that this episode made me think about that I hadn't thought about before is the fact that Klingons, like, kind of like, I mean, they want to mate for life. Which doesn't seem like a Klingon thing to do. You really? Think so? to me? No, to me, like Klingons, just I do everything a thousand percent. Yeah, if I guess. If I want to fuck you, I want to fuck you forever. I guess. That, I love that, it. That seems know. very in line to Klingon way. I they're love it. they're all about you know honor and loyalty and right? family like, bloodline. This is the episode where we meet one of my absolute favorite background characters, which is Chancellor Galron. With yeah. the big fucking eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the um, bug eyes, right? Yeah, I forget the Oh, the name. one that's supposed to take it's leadership? Either, it's either yeah. Duras right. or Galron, right? Right, right, right. Galron is just, like, the creepiest, most awesome Klingon ever. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> He's so fucking creepy and awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's the Steve Buscemi of Star and- Trek. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Totally. <laughs> And I, I watched an interview with the actor who was saying when he went in for his audition, all he did was he just like opened up his eyes really wide, <laughs> which I just did for the people listening. And then he got the job. They're and like, he's just you're, like, you're guy. he's perfect in this role. This way he's like, Duras. Like yeah. the way he says everything is so good. He's such a scrawny dude, mm. which is so great for this like guy who's supposed to be the best warrior ever. Because anyone in the Empire can basically challenge the the Chancellor 
to battle to death, and if yeah. you beat him, you are the chancellor. You're chancellor, yeah. Anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. So he has to be the best warrior as well as a good politician. Garon, I don't want to say anything, but like Garon is around in Deep Space Nine the whole way through the show. Yep. And one of my favorite fucking things that ever happens happens with Garon. <laughs> Tiffin knows what I'm talking about. Right at the end of the show. Yep. God damn, that show's good. It's really good. It was really hard for me when he made when he made Alexander look at death. Yeah. He was yeah. like, so yeah. look. Don't forget what that just, looks like. Yeah. Have you ever seen death? Just look at death. And that moment at the end where Alexander says to Worf, Are you, are my, you my father? Oh, it's so heartbreaking. It's, it's like, so good. Can we just talk about that weird fucking chair he was sitting on? <laughs> Wait, who? Wait, what? Who? Alexander in that Are You My Father scene. I don't remember that. Oh, it's like, like Worf's chair of, in his it's quarters? It's made of, like, bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his black oh, chair? Yeah. yeah. That's there through the end of the series. I know. Yeah, I, I mean, I've great. seen it before, that but that's... apartment, huh? That, I want that chair. <laughs> yeah. We only ever see Klingons in, like, in the battleships or in the high council like we don't see like the common Klingon. yeah you know? that's yeah. true right. that would except really... for that, well, that old high... lady yeah. Kempek <laughs> yeah. you got fat yeah. <laughs> um, let's do the Benar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving on the next one god this season's good Next, we have Future Imperfect, where Riker oh. uh, basically wakes up in his own future. Everyone's oh, older. Oh, that's such a good just episode. just like, what the fuck happened to everything? Yeah. And you get Admiral Picard, who's got this sweet goatee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, he looks like he's sh- like a German in that episode. Like I don't know. What like, oh, like oh, Riker yeah. is a graying, like, oh, just barrel-chested dad. Mm. Yeah terrifying concept mm-hmm. yeah, yeah wake up way in your own future and your whole life is gone you've you got married and your wife died in the time that you've forgotten mm-hmm. yeah. right and then you and have trying a kid to reconnect with right. your own and your child named Jean-Luc yeah. uh-huh. which is so yeah. like uh- <laughs> and also mm-hmm. this is maybe my favorite reveal in all of the next the generation minuet reveal. the minuet yeah. reveal yeah that was it's good so oh. Subtle. oh shit yeah, because Minuet, for those who don't remember, is the hologram from the from the, the episode one one zero zero one zero zero one, where you have the binars. Every time, every time, dude. <laughs> the binars where they make this holodeck program where they have the perfect woman that Riker falls in love with, mm-hmm. and they bring back Minuet, and yeah. that being the thing that triggers his knowledge that it's not real because she Which was a hologram. Which is so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's like the wait, perfect. Min? Perfect mm. sci-fi twist. It's such good writing. And then he fucks with his son right after that when he realizes... I forget what he says, but he's like, he's oh, like, really? What is going on here? Yeah, he's yeah. like, you are what? I don't care. No, yeah. this is real. And that's something that I love about the show also is that, like, we're, we all live in Seattle. There's this kind of Seattle politeness. But in the future, when you realize you're being fucked with, you're just like, <laughs> no, kid. You're Fuck not you. real. Yeah. Tell me what's going on. Whereas <laughs> yeah. in Seattle's like, well, I think this isn't real. Um, I know that you're a kid, so maybe, I don't know, you might not know what's going on, but (laughs) can you, can you help me? Can you maybe like guide me? I think you might not be real, but I'm not sure. I don't want to be impolite, but can you tell me if you're real or not? There's like just a like, no, moment. you're yeah. not real. Fuck you. And it's great. There are little moments that where he sees the home video of him like tickling him when he's got a clown mask that on. That made me like sad. That like, was cute. You know, it was really Where he's cute. like, yeah. oh, yeah. maybe I will have a kid someday except for my father's such an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and then they peel back one layer of reality and you're in the Romulan ship so and you're cool. scanning his mind, which I liked better than 
where that it ends. Tomalock, right? Tomalock. Oh, yeah. Tomalock. I love Tomalock. Because you know that like something's afoot, and you're like, all right, which one of y'all is planning a practical joke on Riker for my birthday? You know, like, <laughs> like, like where's the stripper out the cake coming? <laughs> Joke's over. Yeah. And then like the only thing that's left is the Romulan, and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> like, never oh man. And then you find out that this kid is some uh, strange-looking alien mm-hmm. who was He's left alone on this planet. He's a gray. Yeah, yeah totally. I love I how felt there's so a sad gray. For him. Yeah, mm-hmm. the alien costume is unfortunate. Oh, it's so it bad. Is, yeah. It is. Luckily, I felt in enough emotional connection to it where I like looked past it. Like I didn't really notice yeah. how bad it was until after the episode was done because I was just so happy thinking about his future life, being able to be around other kids, and like you yeah. know. Just be normal, you know, yeah. <laughs> like after living in isolation with like Ugh. fake people for so long. So luckily that emotional like connection really was enough for yeah. me to pull me past. But you can still remember the shitty what that costume. It's all episode. like lopsided and wiggly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like M. Night Shyamalan used it later on in his all right, Commander, you've got until your next birthday to get that right. Tiff, I remember you telling me about um, how your parents would take all the VHS tapes of whatever movie you were watching and tape over all of the cursing. So, <laughs> are you kidding me? So, <laughs> this explains so much about you guys. <laughs> so, like, for, for instance, like, Back to the Future was one of my favorite movies yeah. when I was growing up. But, like, there would just be spots where it was, like, taped over with, like... Where he would say shit. The weekly news. Yeah. You just, would, like, like... But my mom really didn't want me to hear the word damn, ever. Because I think well. that was the only curse word in that movie. Like, no, well, there he were, like, said shit spots. several times. My mom would literally sit there and, like... Oh, man, you missed the best part of the movie. Damn, where is that kid? <laughs> damn. Damn. Where is that kid? Damn, said, damn, 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 damn. That's yeah. the best part of the movie. But I just thought it was really normal. Yeah, well, I thought that thing. everyone's parents so, did that. That's like when you find a stranger. I mean, I feel like I got the gist of the movie. What you Ish. grow up with is what you think is normal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's why watching a show like The Next Generation as a kid is so formative. Uh all in all though, Future Imperfect. Really good. Wonderful episode. Case yeah. closed. Oh, I, I did I did love that part too where uh when Riker's like, Data, what did you say? I said you can't. You made a contraction. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh. That isn't. That's like such a weird character quirk. That's a little unfortunate because I can't believe it as an audience member that this insanely uh, sophisticated android cannot use contractions. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, soon had a lot to think about when he wrote his programming. Yeah. So maybe he just forgot the contractions, right? Dr. Nooney and Soong spent oh. weeks programming the penis of Data. I got a great but idea. But couldn't make contractions. Well, well he, put so. his, he put his efforts in the right place then. I mean, obviously. Uh, next up, final mission. The last episode uh, with Wesley Crusher as a main character, where Picard and Wesley and some uh, good-for-nothing spaceship freighter captain crash land on a planet and are basically walking through the desert trying to stay alive. They get no into this water. weird cave where there's no oh, water, yeah. and they have Heart to find really a way hurt. to get that water open. One of the scariest things ever on the show happens where that guy gets encased in that creepy cocoon. This is a very intense episode. It's such a great episode to end Wesley on, too, just seeing that father figure in this... <laughs> that father figurehood of Picard 
and what Picard was to him. Picard again lets his guard down for the second time this season where you get some real emotional moments between Wesley and Picard when Picard thinks he's about to die. And I just have to say, that was adorable. <laughs> For the listeners at home, uh, Audrey and Kayla just like through sign language switched whose phone was plugged into the wall and then gave each other a thumbs up. And it was adorable. <laughs> so cute. I didn't so want to interrupt cute. the podcast and now we're interrupting No, you should have because it was good. Um, I remember watching this episode as a kid and I remember thinking, I just, like, Obviously, I don't want to be in that in that situation, like stuck in a desert with Picard. But I kind of want to be in that situation. Yeah, because I always related to Wesley, even though he's. You know, I love Wesley, he's a boy. I have know, always loved but, him, but yeah. but like I just I I wanted to be him, like on the Enterprise. I wanted to be yeah him too. in that situation. Me too. And so this episode kind of kind of hit it home for me because I wanted to be like just there with Picard in the shuttlecraft, like trying to make friends, and then like having this this crazy adventure together where Wesley saved his life. I'll never forget Wesley fighting this weird energy thing with his tricorder. Just mm-hmm. standing there like boop, 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 yeah. as fast as he can and like defeats this thing I like with Simon his smarts. Totally. Uh, (laughs) I think the writers knew that they were writing themselves into a corner where they kept bringing Wesley back from going off to the Academy. Mm -hmm. And that can only happen for so long. You can't really drag it on any further. It's kind of like the problem with Riker getting all these commands and turning them down. Eventually, that diminishes Riker's character. He even says, why am I not doing this? Why am I not leaving the Enterprise? Well, it's ironic, too, in Best of Both Worlds because he becomes captain of the Enterprise of that episode. And it's brilliant writing because that's the way that they... Uh, make it okay for him to stay because mm-hmm. he becomes captain and he wins. I mean, he defeats the Borg. Riker fucking yeah. defeats the Borg. And Riker, Riker did that. Not Riker Picard. did that. Yeah, he Riker. did do that. Right. And yeah. in a parallel fashion, the, the biggest bad that they've had yet. Riker, Riker, Riker defeats defeated. Them. And then and Starfleet parallel... leaves him the fuck alone after that. It's like, yeah. all right, we want you on the Enterprise because yeah. the Enterprise is the ship that's going to run into this kind of thing because you're our flagship. Yeah. We want the best. Uh, the best number one in Starfleet, and that's you. At this you. point, so it's not about a promotion; there. it's about yeah. where you are valuable. Totally. And they do the same thing in this episode, where like, because you remember when Wesley was like trying to get into Starfleet Academy, and they gave him that simulation where he had to save the crew or yeah. like let it die. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I like, this that. is very much that same situation. Oh, he like true. follows through and cool. does it. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah, that's totally a callback to season one, mm-hmm. where where Wesley has to do it for real and he succeeds. Yeah. Where um, he's put in the no-win situation. He wouldn't have done it without that training probably before, like that test. And like, yeah. once he realized why that was there. Yeah. Hmm. This episode shows how far Wesley's come as a character and also shows you that Wesley can't continue to be on the show. Yeah. It's the perfect send-off in a show where you, this is the only time where this will ever happen on the show, where you will have a main character leave. Without dying. Without dying. Man, I, I think it's really great. It's such a strange, weird unique episode so many great mm-hmm. things about this episode yeah absolutely another one that i really didn't like as a kid because it stressed me out so much oh, but yeah. as an adult just looking at the arc of the show this is a very important episode that i think they pulled off perfectly all right next up we have the loss counselor troy loses her empathic powers the enterprise is slowly pulled off course oh, by an unknown God. force existing in two-dimensional form into a Deadly cosmic string. Oh. Troy is such a bitch in this episode. She's such a bitch. She, she doesn't know how to deal. Bitch. She doesn't know how to deal with it. She's never yeah. experienced this before. Well, I understand that, but she's such a whiny bitch in this episode. <laughs> yeah. This is the she's Troy episode that blows me away that I was mentioning earlier. I guess mm-hmm. she just didn't realize how much of a crutch like her Betazoid capabilities were for her. She just like becomes the worst. 
and then pulls herself out of it and goes back to how she was. And something about that like really resonated with me on this current watch through where I'm watching I'm like she's being like such a brat and it's so unlike her. It's so strange. It's so outside of her character. But then the more I think of it, I'm like, wow, that is who's underneath this incredibly calm, collected together person. Mm -hmm. It makes her three dimensional. Well, of course, if you're facing a disability, I feel like that it's a disability to her. She's not complete anymore. It's like missing your right hand and being a guitarist, you know, like. Totally. Like, that's how you make your living. It's your bread and butter. That's your livelihood. You know, like yeah. that is how she knows how to talk to people. And suddenly it's gone. Yeah. You know, so it does make sense. I mean, she's it gets annoying, you know, but just from like somebody who's like, stop treating your friends like that. They're trying to help you, <laughs> you know, yeah. but like at the same time, you know. And I think I'm just now realizing that I think it's because like I went through something like this where I had a really intense health crisis and I was a bitch like I was awful <laughs> and sometimes you just have to do that you just have to kind of be the worst yeah it's because your right you're right so, when you're in mourning about something like you're so upset about yeah. what's happening to you and everyone on the crew is a little impatient with her but um this it just felt so real to me i mean it's it's a very real moment in a show mm-hmm. that's very idealistic mm-hmm. i guess it was just hard for me to see a character that like i view as so strong yeah acting like that yeah like just like like she lost like her empathic abilities and she was just like nope i'm just done like i can't do anything anymore and it was really hard it was really hard for me to watch that yeah really hard just seeing someone you idolize being weak all of a sudden yeah like i expected her to like rise above it and just be like Oh, I can do it with She that. did in the you end. Know? I guess it's part I of the journey. I know she did in the end. It was part of the drama. It's fine. <laughs> but... I, I'm so about the fact that Troy is a female role model. And when I was watching this recently, the first half of the episode, I was just like petrified because I'm like, wow, they're kind of breaking that. But then having her find that again in herself really, to me, made her so much more real and so much stronger. Having her strength fluctuate for a moment makes the rest of her strength even more real to me. Mm-hmm. Like having Picard weep in front of his brother makes mm-hmm. him more real to me. Yeah. And this is a whole season about That's doing so things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I the the only unfortunate thing is that it's she kind of becomes the stereotype of a hysterical woman. Mm-hmm. Um but sometimes that happens to women, and that's okay. Like, you can that be that way yes, sometimes. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just happens. I will say I loved the, the scene when Picard wouldn't let her, wouldn't let her go. Like, yeah. He wouldn't let her wouldn't resign. He wouldn't accept her yeah. resignation. Yeah. He was just like, no, I need you. Like, whatever yeah. state you're in, like, you're mm-hmm. the best we have. Yeah. But she's yeah. like, I'm like, not, I need you I'm not right a superhero now. anymore. He's like, yes, yeah. you are. Yeah, man. I mean, just watching this, He's like, like, woman. He's like, you can do it, girl. Yeah. Get it, girl. And I love that they didn't bring Lexana in, into it to be like, oh, honey, come on. Like, yeah. <laughs> to know that that's what's under the surface that she is holding down. And there's only one moment in seven years on the show where it comes through. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe, they, I mean, it's when a, I was. It's unhealthy to pretend to be strong all the time. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I don't know. Is that just me? Do you do you think it was too no, far? I, do you think they went too far? I I liked that moment in her. It was very, like you said, three dimensional. You know, it really brought more than just a, a pretty face and a you know and a unique ability. You know. Yeah. Well, it's it's hard too on the enterprise because you're always on. You're never not working. I mean, you're yeah. You're like yeah. you have all yeah. duty, you always. Like, they can always the call ship. you. Yeah. You know, they can always call you to to mm-hmm. come and work. All yeah, the time. That's so stressful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would be much different to be on call if you were just like, this is my life's work. 
this is what my life means. Like, right, yeah, if right, you right, are, right. if you like, are a Starfleet officer and that's what your life is about, then you're not going to mind yeah. being on call. Right. You're going to wake me up in the middle of the night because we are at a place that no one has ever been, yeah. and you want me to see something that no one's ever seen. It's that's not like awesome. I'll be right Damn. there. Yeah. You know? I'm sorry, I got a date down the, downtown tonight. Yeah, sorry, do dude, that. I'm yeah. going to GameWorks with this broad. Right. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm at home watching Doctor Who and fucking yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> So right there is where Jeff had to take off. We took a little break. We refilled our whiskey. We split up a cupcake that I had sitting around. <laughs> and then we sat down to have a little snack and then continue the discussion. Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury, powered by whiskey and cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> if only there was a whiskey cupcake. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure there is somewhere yeah. in the world. This we need good. to find it. <laughs> that this is the part of the cupcake. podcast where we eat. Yeah, and your it sounds favorite gross. part. It just it, it uh, tickles me to no end. That you do all of the faux pas that you should never do on podcasting. Exactly. <laughs> all right, we're back. <laughs> I kind of just want to eat this cupcake right now. Yeah. And then everything will be a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, Tiffin, tell us a story. Malcolm Adele was my favorite like bad guy ever oh. from Star Trek. So Time good is the fire in which we burn. Ooh. That was actually the first Star Trek movie I saw in the theaters. Oh yeah, me too, for sure. And it was just like mind blowing. And people it's, like don't seem to think it's that good out there. I'm like, you guys are wrong. They're so wrong. Yeah. They're so fucking wrong. Do you like that more or first contact? Oh well I like I like that more. However, first contact I feel like has more impactful moments yeah i mean my favorite picard scene of all time is from first contact this far no farther when he smashes all his little ships you broke your little ships <laughs> <laughs> let's just recite the whole movie caleb have you seen the star trek next i have generation not movie? seen it yet no oh, you're in for a treat bro oh awesome oh, i like treats but yeah generations was definitely like i mean it was mind-blowing for me watching it in the theaters it was just like watching kirk come back being such such a huge original series fan it was a big deal and i thought they did him justice i think so (sighs) that's one of two movies in my whole life where i was shaking with excitement in the movie theater the other is contact really when ellie got in the machine in contact i was just shaking i have seen it but i haven't seen it for so many years sarah and i are doing episode about contact soon i just read the book for the first time it was amazing it was so good okay so this is introducing Keiko and Spot and Data's Day. We're on Data's Day now. Right? We're on Data's Day. Another mm, great episode. So good. One of my favorites, actually. Yeah. Data records a day in his life for Commander Bruce Maddox, including observations on Chief O'Brien's wedding and the, the, and the mystery of a Vulcan ambassador who apparently dies in a transporter accident. You get the dancing doctor, which is one of the most <laughs> memed things in TNG. And Beverly Crusher... Uh, Gates McFadden, who played Beverly Crusher, actually choreographed the dance scene in Labyrinth. She's a legit like choreographer. Choreographer. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Pretty awesome. The fact that he's writing to Bruce Maddox is amazing because Maddox was the guy in season two uh, in the episode where he they like the Measure of a Man. Measure of a Man. Thank you. I blanked for a second because of whiskey. Where Pulaski's like, Nah, you're not real. Yeah. Well, well, Maddox is like, you're not real, and I I can shut you off whenever I want and like take your brain apart and make more of you. Yeah. Uh, Great episode that we've talked about in the past, but the fact that Data has maintained a dialogue with Maddox Mm -hmm. was something that I 
really, really love. Because I left Measure of a Man being so mad at Maddox. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that Data can continue a relationship with him is... because he has no emotions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a testament to his character. There's something yeah. happening there. He grows used to your circuit pathways. One of my favorite things about this episode was his uh, relationship with Keiko, which kind of mm. came... I feel like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, it does come out of nowhere, for sure. Like, that that wasn't something that was prefaced before, right? Not at all. Not at all. It was just like, oh, like, you're my good friend. Let me talk to you about this. Yeah. when very people, strange. When people claim Data as their close friend, sometimes I wonder about them. Like, Jordy, mm-hmm. who has problems getting along with women... Uh, is or very, people in general. He's very charming on the surface, but he doesn't have deep relationships with anyone except for <laughs> the android with no emotions, yeah. which is really interesting. And then seeing Keiko have that relationship with Data also, like I, I just think, like, what is Keiko getting from this relationship? Because he's, su- he's such a solid guy, and he's very consistent, but, um, but I feel like the rest of the crew kind of keep this professional detachment from Data because you can't have that emotional relationship with him. Troy, in particular, who obviously respects Data and talks to him as a person, uh, and it's not like there's any discrimination there, but you can also... She always has a smirk when they're talking about emotional matters because she knows he doesn't understand. Right. I feel like I would love to have Data as a friend because he would be, I mean, just that solid, like... Like, there's nothing... There's no gray area with data. Yeah, there's no gray area at all. Yeah. It's just, I mean, he would just tell you exactly what he thought. Mm -hmm. Exactly what he thought. And it's not that he doesn't care about you. I'm putting that in quotes. No one can see that. (laughs) Like, I feel like data definitely cares. Like, he gets used to his friends, like we talked about earlier. Um, And he definitely cares about their well-being in some sense or another. So to have that friend that, like, cares about you but has no, I mean, they're not going to sugarcoat anything. Yeah. And there's no judgment. There's never judgment. No, no, none at all. And he has this interesting perspective on the world that you're not going to get from anyone else. Absolutely. So you run a problem by him, he might help you solve it because he can think about things in this purely logical way that you really can't consider. Yep. And unlike, I mean, I always, I always considered him to be like the Vulcan character of the next generation. Yeah, definitely. But unlike Spock, he's not judging you. Yeah. Like Spock's all judgment. He's so judgy. Spock's so judgy. He's so yeah, judgy. Data is just like, he's just right there. Yeah. I love his naivete in this episode when he tells Chief O'Brien that Keiko wants to break off the wedding. He's like, this will make Keiko happy and you want Keiko to be happy. So <laughs> therefore, this will make you happy. Right. It's logical. This also introduces, I mean, Keiko's never been on the show before, right? right this is yeah. her first episode. Keiko and Chief O'Brien is one of my favorite things. I, I didn't realize this was her first episode. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. She shows up fully formed, which is cool. I mean, yeah. she's a very, uh, she's a strong character who gets even better through Deep Space Nine. And their family is, it's probably like the first Irish Asian family oh, on yeah. TV. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And I mean, it's Star great. Trek would do that. And it's never, it, it's done in the way that I love, where it's never addressed. It's just these two people are in love. And mm-hmm. these are just, this she, is just a family. And she gets married in full on Japanese, like traditional garb. Yeah. yeah. And there's like, there's that episode later where she's remembering this tea ceremony from when she was a kid, when they meet those empathic aliens who can uh-huh. pull out your memories. Um, I, Keiko's just like classy and sexy and awesome. And I love her. The other part of this episode is you have for the first time, the experience of being an outsider in what's happening on the bridge. 
because Data is not allowed to know what's happening with this uh, this Vulcan ambassador who ends up being a Romulan double, double agent, which uh-huh. is a super cool plot line. And s- seeing it from his point of view, because you know that that's how most officers experience the day-to-day life on the Enterprise, is not being in the inner circle. And it's weird for Data to not be in the inner circle, but it's not unheard of. I mean, sometimes it's just the captain, sometimes it's just the captain and Riker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's And it's rare for it to not be the three of them, because Data's like third in command. But this is one of those rare occasions where he isn't in the know. And as the audience, we see it from that point of view. And watching the captain go into the back room or go into his ready room and not be able to be a part of that conversation, that's never happened. So that's a cool experience to have. And my favorite part is that we get that wonderful dance where he's got like his scissor (laughs) hands that he's like jumping back and forth (laughs) that they did when uh, they parodied in um, Klingon style, the Gangnam style parody. Have you seen that? (laughs) No. Oh, it's so good. Nope. Everyone go watch I that. I can imagine what it would look like. My favorite part of the dance is when Beverly tells him to like, when they're like actually ballroom dancing and she tells him to look up and oh. smile uh, and he just creepy. has that like creepy, terrible grin on his face. Yeah. Yeah. Just showing how alien he is. How, are you enjoying wearing the headphones? Is it weird? Yeah. No, I like it. Okay. I like it. <laughs> Next up, we have The Wounded. Uh, another of my top episodes. The, a lot of my top episodes are in this season. Or I just love the show so much. Uh, when Captain Benjamin Maxwell apparently goes rogue, the Enterprise is ordered to apprehend him before the, his actions result in another war between the Federation and the Cardassian Union. This is the introduction of the Cardassians. This episode sets the stage that, yeah. for everything that happens in Deep Space Nine. This episode, in my mind, is the reason that Chief O'Brien becomes a main character in Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine. Agreed. This has one of my three favorite moments of the entire series, which is... I'm, I'm going to say that more than three times, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, you are. When uh, Chief O'Brien and Captain Maxwell are singing that song... The boom, 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 ba dum 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 The Irish. And the something yeah. else will find me. That, oh, God, I get chills at the it's, end when they sing that together. It's so powerful. The minstrel boy to the war has gone in the ranks of death. He will find him. His father's sword he hath girded on, and his wild heart slumbe behind him. Land of song, said the warrior bard, though all the world betrays thee. One sword, at least thy rights shall guard. One faithful harp shall praise thee. I'm not going to win this one, am I, Chief? No, sir. And that's like being in Ireland. Like that happens in pubs all yeah, the time. <laughs> totally. It's beautiful. My family went to Ireland uh, when I was 20, I think. Maybe you went 19. With them? Yeah. Uh, and we went to a pub and people were sitting in the corner singing. Like I still remember the tune. It yeah. was such a powerful moment just in my life. Yeah. And I, my dad's like, hey, he's a musician. Like, oh, you're a musician? Uh, play play us something. So they handed me a guitar and I played them a song. Oh, that's and awesome. They were just like, they're like, yay! Like, they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
these wonderful people. They're so hospitable. Yeah, just like music is the language of friendship mm -hmm. to them. And uh, it was it was very powerful. And I saw this episode well before that and then many times after that. Oh, cool. And it definitely amplified it after to have experienced that. Yeah, I just went life. there for the first time last year and I was my friend lives in Carlingford, which is just an hour north or so of Dublin, maybe south. And then um we went to her local pub and had oysters and Guinness. And she's like, Oh, you should stay around, there's gonna be a house musician. And I just got drunk and was like, play Waltzing Matilda. <laughs> and he played waltzing it like everyone, Matilda, everyone waltzing sang. Waltzing like, Matilda. Yeah. 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 And he played for like two hours and just everyone was having the greatest time singing along. And he brought his daughters up and his neighbors up and like everyone just played songs with them. Just so beautiful. Yeah. This is also the introduction of um, Mark Alimo as a Cardassian. Even though he's not playing Gold Ducat, he is mm -hmm. the main Cardassian in this episode. Yep. Oh, so is this... The, so the guy that played Gold Ducat is in this episode as a different Cardassian? He's the lead yeah. Cardassian. Cardassians oh. all have facial hair in this episode and those weird helmets yeah. that you'll never see again. And because they weren't sure how to portray them, right? Yeah. And that incredible moment. Chief O'Brien, incredible speech where he's like, it's not you I hate, Cardassian. It's what I became because of you. Right. Which is such an incredible look into racism. Absolutely. I'm, I was going to say, I really feel like this episode is about um, Miles O'Brien working through... Yeah. His racism. Totally. Working through his prejudice, not racism. Work, working through yeah, his prejudice. Yeah, yeah, That's true. For it's whatever more reason prejudice. it came about, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of normal people go through that. Yeah. Because of wars. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, this is one of those episodes that's just like, you just got to go watch it because it's just fucking perfect. It's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, the, I do not like facial hair on Cardassians. No, that it's gross. so terrible. Yeah. Uh, the other Cardassians kind of being curious about humans and the fact that there is actually a plot going on. Um, like Captain Maxwell was right, but the fact that he's going about it in the wrong way still means that he's wrong was great. Like Picard's diplomacy in this episode was fucking top level shit. It always is. When is it, it not? Is. That's very true. Do you feel yeah. like um, in canon of Star Trek, like was this pre or post occupation of Bajor? I think it's during. During, yeah. 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 Because the occupation of Bajor ends right at the beginning of Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. Uncomfortable times. Yeah. Next up. Devils do the USS Enterprise D. Why do they put that in the description? Of course it's that <laughs> shit. Responds to a distress signal from a science station on Ventax 2, where the planet is in chaos over the return of a being who claims to be that culture's devil. This is the Ardra episode where you have this woman claiming to be the devil, everyone's devil, basically, and she's just a flim-flam man, basically. She's a con artist. <laughs> yeah, she's a con artist. And Picard sees through her. This is a fun episode. I enjoy it. It's not like a great episode, but it's fun. I, I don't love... feel like there's a lot of character development in this episode, but... No, it's, it's a little thin, but the stuff at the end with Picard pulling out all the stops and like taking on Ardra's tricks to prove that she's false was really cool. It feels like an original series episode to me. Interesting. I could see that. Yeah. It feels like something they definitely would have done and like like Kirk would have, you know, done the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the totally. plot's the plot's great and it's a fun episode, but it's not yeah, something I would watch over and over again. I love Ardra showing up in Picard's quarters and flirting with him and all that stuff is super fun. Offering him like the best sex of his life. Yeah. Basically. She has, uh, she's got quite the ego on her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I love that she wants Picard to be like her slave boy, basically. Yeah. Like her sex slave. I mean, it's kind of surprising she didn't pick Riker. 
That's too easy. There's no challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that what you think it was? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, next up, we have clues. The crew of the Enterprise wakes up after apparently passing through a wormhole, finding mysteries surrounding their blackout. Data begins to act suspiciously, prompting the command staff to wonder if he has been compromised. I like this one a lot. I liked it too. This is the one where they run into that super advanced civilization that doesn't want to be discovered and is mm-hmm. going to destroy the Enterprise just to uh, make sure that their secret doesn't get out. Mm-hmm. And then they concoct this crazy plan to make everyone forget, but they can't do that with Data, but Picard orders Data not to tell. And then you get that. The, my favorite moment is this, of this episode is when Picard says, like, are you acting on orders? Whose orders? Yours, sir. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite moment, too, for yeah. sure. I mean, I think this is just another great example of how Data really could just, like, for the most part, run the ship and take oh. everything over. Uh, however, they're a little too smart for him. They always outsmart him in some way. It's surprising to me in this episode that Data wouldn't catch all of those things, though. It never bothered me because I think that maybe part of Data underestimates humanity because he's superior. And he's very comfortable saying he's superior over and over again. It's an okay episode. It's not the best. It's a little weak just because the answer is, well, let's try again. And then... It's like a Groundhog Day episode, right? I'm not convinced that it worked the second time. (laughs) Like, maybe the show ends at this episode because they just can't get it right and then these people kill him. Right. So... I'm just what? saying. I feel like Data. Uh, granted, maybe he underestimates hum- humanity, but I feel like I feel like he would be smart enough. Yeah, to catch those flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he's he would have done all those algorithms or whatever he does in his brain, and yeah. he would have caught it. Yeah. Like it's sort of unbelievable to me. Yeah. I think that I maybe like- we're in a little bit of a mid-season lull. I mean, agreed. The last two episodes are just kind of okay, and even the next episode is just okay. First contact. Uh, these episodes all have great moments, but they're not, uh, they don't really kind of encapsulate what I love about the show. First Contact is when Riker is doing a First Contact mission on some planet where he's disguised as this alien oh, creature. Oh, yeah. I love this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I love that B.B. Newworth. Yeah, I know. I know why. <laughs> just tell tell us about it. B.B. Newworth is awesome in this episode. I just love that there's the one alien that's like holding him captive and, well, not holding him captive. She's his nurse. Yeah. And she's like, I'll help you out of here because I really want to fuck an alien. Yeah. So, <laughs> so just go ahead and have sex with me. I'll, I'll help you out. I'll like, let girl. you out if you make love to me. Yeah. Like, what's girl, that actress's that's my name? That's B.B. Newworth. She's, she's from she, Frasier, right? Yeah. yeah. She's Lilith on Frasier. She's great. She's great. Yeah. This, there are really cool things in this episode. The whole, like, the, the guy on the planet who thinks that there's this, like, conspiracy going on who wants to kill all the off-worlders and mm-hmm. the paranoia of this episode from some of the people seeing Starfleet through someone else's eyes is really cool. Mm. Uh, but overall, not the most entertaining hour of TV. So the- well, for sure. I feel like I feel like this is what we would be like, though. Like, I mean, that yeah. was the play. Like, that's yeah. what it. That's what we would be like if we found out that the aliens were on our world. Yeah. Like, it would totally... That's That's how our politicians would take care of it, is like... Like, nope. Yeah. And I I was really sad about the scientists that really wanted to, like, go with them and, yeah. you know, see other worlds. That woman, yeah. Yeah, she, I mean, she was so open to it. And she kind just... of embodied the Starfleet ideal. Absolutely. Like, if we're watching Doctor Who, she becomes the next companion. Because mm-hmm. the sure. doctor's just like, I want to take you with me. For sure. Because you deserve it. But yeah, that was totally, like, modern day. That's modern day Earth. Yeah. I mean, that's what that play was. Yeah. 
it's it's definitely an interesting episode adds a lot of depth and color to the story as a whole but because it happens in this mid-season lull is even more underwhelming than it would be otherwise um I'm, I'm remembering now that when i watched through season four recently the first half i was like damn and then the second half i was like ooh, i don't know like it's still great it's still my favorite show but it wasn't as great as i remembered it from being a kid watching the season for the first time for sure it didn't quite hold up as well that makeup on Riker, though it's like pretty pretty awesome yeah like super ape-like yeah next up we have <laughs> galaxy's child episode 16 laforge finds out that a scientist is hardly what he imagined her to be <laughs> understatement Aww. meanwhile they must work together to save the child of a space-born alien the enterprise is accidentally killed we'll sour the milk <laughs> um <laughs> Man, this episode is weird. Like it's so weird. Is this a Dr. Brahms? Dr. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Leah Brahms. She is, is this so when hot. she comes so back, hot. like yeah. the, for the oh, when she comes there for the first time after his holodeck fantasies. This is the only time we see her for in real. person. Yeah, okay. where she's not the uh, and they're like stuck in the Jeffries tube together, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't think you would be like this." And yeah, he's like what? What do you mean? This episode's so hard to watch because Jordy plays this the literal worst way possible. <laughs> He's like Absolutely. an internet stalker. Is basically totally. like, <laughs> he has no yeah. fucking self control. And when when she finds his holodeck program, my heart dropped. I know. For Jordy, I was just like, it's oh. so much fun for because Jordy's part. really not that creepy. No, he's a great but guy. But he's just like that. He's like, yeah. oh god, how many photographs do you have of me? Yeah, Weird. I mean, he was just in the wrong the whole time. Absolutely. Of this episode, like he could have told her immediately what had happened. He could have told her immediately. Not that he fell in love with her in the holodeck, but that... Oh, he totally fell in love with her on the holodeck. Well, no, I mean, he, he didn't need to tell her that, but he should oh, have told okay. her that he <laughs> ran a program with her mm -hmm. and knew her from that so right. that he could stop just being so fucking creepy. This this episode, honestly, really disappoints me because I I just idolize everyone on the ship so much. And of course, they can make mistakes, but it's not like when Troy made mistakes and... In her uh, in the episode, the loss, and then mm -hmm. she had a come back, come to God moment kind of thing. Yeah, where... like Jordy just fucks up the whole time. <laughs> yep, they become friends at the end and laugh about it, but she's kind of doing him a solid. But you by know they're not going to talk again. Yeah. yeah, like that's the end. No. Yeah, and just being a guy who's very um, touchy about not wanting to seem like the creeper, you know, and knowing that Jordy's Aware. not the creeper, yeah. finding him in a situation where he comes off that way is very uncomfortable mm -hmm. to me, and Agreed. I just really don't like it. It's still it's still a, not a bad episode. I mean, it, there's a lot of stuff about it that's really interesting. The whole thing with the space baby that they have to... Like, they accidentally kill the mom of the space baby, and mm. they're all devastated. The look on Picard's face is just devastating at yeah, that moment. Yeah, they failed that day. Yeah. yeah. This is an episode of oh, a bunch of egregious boners on the part of our crew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Again, we're in a lull. Mm -hmm. We are Agreed. in a lull. Agreed. Not a lull. I was not glad, Data's daughter. I was lull. glad to see her back, though. Yeah, it is. It's, it's great cool. continuity to yeah. have her back. It's just. I mean, I did, I did want to meet her in person for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Just the whole idea of like being in love with someone who shows up and is married and thinks you're gross. What? It's a. It's a weird storyline that I. I wouldn't have told. Jordy's just that guy. I feel like they just do him, do that to him over and over again. Like he just can't find love. Yeah. And it's so mm. sad. And there's something about that that I I love, but I, I wish they'd done it in a slightly different way because he's so cool. Jordy's great. Yeah. 
I mean, I was Jordy LaForge on Facebook for a solid, like, seven years, <laughs> yes. five years or something. Very recently, went back to Jesse Mercury, but damn. Next up, we have Night Terrors. And if you're looking at the, uh, on your cell phone, on Memory Alpha, if you're following along with us, the picture is Guinan raising some shit. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. This picture is so cool. She's just got yeah. this giant fucking blaster. <laughs> yeah. uh, synopsis. The Enterprise crew is affected and- when they are adrift in a remote area of space and find themselves unable to dream. This is a great episode. We're out of the lull at this point. This is a scary episode. This, it's a really interesting concept. Distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that voice saying over and over again? Like two, two lights. No, two, two circles. Two moon circles or something. Eyes in the dark, one moon circles. That's it. Eyes yeah. in the dark, one moon circles to represent the hydrogen atom because there's these creatures that want them to, to put hydrogen into this rift mm-hmm. to destroy the rift so they can get out. I thought it was really interesting, like two, I, I actually really, really love this episode, two species trying to speak to each other through the language of science, mm-hmm. not knowing how to talk. And the fact that it's the other crew that is initiating the conversation is really interesting to me. Um, also, the idea that if we can't dream, our minds lose cohesion mm-hmm. is terrifying. Uh, like, I've been recently like trying to help like hold on to my dreams and like not write mm-hmm. them down, but think about them more. But any given day before that i'd be like oh yeah i just don't have dreams and it's like no you do but you forget them within like the first hour that you're awake hmm. and they're just gone but yeah i that's a really interesting thing it's very creative to dream yeah totally my dad used to say it's your mind going to places that it needs to go to be balanced mm-hmm. which i thought was kind of interesting yeah so when you have nightmares it means you've been too happy for too long <laughs> Like you need a little bit of trauma in your life. <laughs> I would take it more as like when you have nightmares, it's like your your brain is trying to avoid some sort of like mental trauma by working through something that frightens you. Oh, that's Absolutely. a much better spin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how I've always thought about nightmares. Is yeah. So your brain trying to deal with something that you couldn't deal with otherwise. So yeah, the lull wasn't long. We only had a lull of a couple, like three yeah. or four episodes, and now we're back to good shit. Yeah, anytime I mean, Guinan shows up, you're fine. And that that fight breaks out. That Guinan breaks up with the giant gun that she keeps behind the bar. Yeah, of I course. That. Of course, she keeps the gun behind the bar. She's got all this like real alcohol back there instead of synthahol. Mm-hmm. Come on, she's so great. She's such a badass. She's good. Next, another fucking great episode, Identity Crisis. This is the one where Jordy uh, and all of his crewmates from his old ship are turning into, like, neon monsters. Oh. Yeah. This, this was one of my two uh, most terrifying episodes as a kid. It was this one and um, Genesis, the one where everyone's oh, de-evolving. Oh, man, this is oh, the one yeah. where they're is like, that called yeah, Genesis? Yeah. No, it is, it is. So. Oh, yeah, when they're going into the animals. Yeah, yeah. where everyone, like, so de-evolves yeah. into different things that don't really make yeah, sense. Like yeah, like Riker's an ape. Yeah. And then Troy's, like, a lizard in Troy's the bathtub. Troy's, like, an amphibian. <laughs> that fucking episode is that, so good. Jordy's a spider, so right? Barkley's a spider. Barkley's well, that kind of makes sense. Okay, yeah. okay, uh, Mr. Broccoli. Yeah, yeah this I, episode is great. This is, is really so good. scary. When Jordy's on the holodeck and trying to recreate the situation, yeah, there's no so music. Cool. It's so slow and it's so fucking scary as he's just recreating the situation where there's a shadow that shouldn't be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh and he's just like God. enhanced because there's like what four crew members on that mission, right? And then yeah. he just removes them piece by piece to like figure out what's going on here and yeah it's so creepy with that reveal and then yeah it's like this weird cg blob 
shadow man. What's the name of the the gal that keeps referring to as like his almost like a sister or something? But yeah, she's what not. is her name? I love um, that actress. She's really great. She's really great. I thought it was interesting that they the, introduced her just for that episode. Maybe just Perhaps. like seeing a woman be nice to Jordy was such a change. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. for sure. Yeah. For sure. One of my favorite things on this show is when they do a holodeck recreation of something to try to solve a puzzle. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. so good. Like, I just watched Schisms a couple days ago where they kind of recreate that room that they're all being um, worked on in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a table. No, it wasn't wood. Oh, it was a saw. It was scissors. Yeah. Scissors, yeah. Like yeah. Oh, it was so a, a metal swing arm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all that kind of stuff is just so fascinating to me. Just like watching how the holodeck technology works and how you talk to the computer and what it does. It's just so, like, interesting and so consistently written and so cool. I'll bring you the rest of this discussion next week from episodes 19 to the season finale, Redemption Part 1. Uh, I had this idea to write this song called My Positronic Brain. I just knew I wanted to write something about an android, what it was like to be inside of an android body and experience the world from that perspective. Uh, But I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I wrote out the whole song. I wrote all the lyrics, and it just didn't say anything. Like, I loved the first line so much, which was, I calculate a bead of sweat to percolate through pores of silicon. And I just loved that line so much, and nothing else in the song was as good as that first line. So I took a step back and said, "How how can I make this better? How can I have a point of view for this song? And the answer to that was, of course, to write a story. <laughs> uh, I, I needed to have this character's point of view in mind. I feel like a big part of why my songs have been better recently than they have been in the past is because I have a really clear point of view about what I'm going to write before I sit down to write a single note. Like when I write Elliot, I know that I'm going to write a song about E.T. I'm going to try to recreate the emotional uh, feeling of watching that movie for the first time and also try to say something about communicating with someone who doesn't even speak your language. Of course, for me, I was thinking about my dog Miles and our intense relationship. So the best way for me to put that into into song was through the story of E.T. But then when I tried to write this song, I didn't have any emotional connection to it because it was brand new and it I didn't really know what it was besides this general idea of writing a song about an android. So I wrote this chapter. I've actually written two chapters at this point, but I'll just share the first one with you. So here we go. My Positronic Brain. Chapter 1. Devi. I like cities. Dense, populous areas where humanity thrives in abundance. Places where all walks of life coexist in close quarters. I particularly like Seattle, city of the strange where transients and buskers own street corners, unseen and unheard by the software developers and biotech employees rushing for their morning latte, a place where I can shuffle down the road with the visual noise of my awkward gait and spastic movements blending into the background, where I can walk undisturbed. With motor functions significantly degraded after my many, many years, I celebrate relative obscurity in this city of the strange, far from the small-town fear of strangers who have no frame of reference for a monster such as me. Here, I can continue to exist and degrade. I can vaguely remember the time before society erupted, back when wide swaths of earth were still untempered by industrialism, back when townships and thatched roof communities were a pale foreshadowing of cities to come, back when I could execute complex emotional and physical processes with ease, the perfect simulacrum of the perfect human. At least, I think that's what I was, back in the early days. (laughs) The early days. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those weren't the early days. Maybe I stretch back further. I don't know. And if I ever did, that knowledge is long lost. The only thing I'm sure of is that I have outgrown my original programming, whatever it may have been. 
As I roamed the earth, I amassed too much knowledge to store in my positronic brain. I was full. Sacrifices had to be made. I imagined that at some point I faced a choice. Keep learning, keep evolving my program, or stagnate with full memory storage capacity. Never write another bit of information to my cognitive index. But my damn creators, whoever they were, they built in curiosity, the desire to improve. So I must have made the choice to dump a section of core programming or memory to make room for new data. I must have made that choice, because my memory blocks have been full for as long as I can remember, and I have absolutely no idea who I am or where I come from. No idea how long I've lived. No string of code detailing my mission, if I ever had one. Limping along through the years, making compromise after compromise, losing myself to gain new experience one data bank at a time. I hope it was worth it. I'll never really know. It wasn't until 500 years ago that things started to break down. Of all the things to remember, I can still remember that. The first logic fault that twisted my right leg into the near-useless extremity it has become. Oh, it happened gradually, of course. I dumped a section of memory to make room for more, and a tingling went down my right side. Just a tingle at first. I wasn't too concerned, thinking it would sort itself after my next defragmentation. When that didn't work, I tried a code flush, even a hard reboot, but the tingling remained. Sometimes it would affect my leg, sometimes my hand. A feeling of fire or ice or nothing at all where normal function used to be. It wasn't so bad, I told myself. It was worth the memory space, the ability to process new experience. The trade-off would be worse. To continue to exist in a world where I couldn't form new memory, to store the day-to-day -day life I was experiencing, I could live with slightly diminished motor control, as long as I could still live. 500 years is a long time for a fault to build, for a bad circuit path to grind itself deeper and deeper into my core functions. Now I have a permanent limp. My right hand sometimes dangles uselessly at my side, or jerks out spasmodically with no provocation, or sometimes moves fluently of its own accord, unprompted by my extremital servo processors. I wonder what bit of memory I dumped to cause this particular fault. My vocal function started to fluctuate after a dump 68 years ago. Of course, I can't remember what was lost, but I remember making the dump and rebooting with a slight slur in my speech. It gets worse every day. Sometimes I can't trigger my vocal simulator at all. I send the complex string of code from my positronic brain to the vocal simulator containing the thoughts I want to enumerate, but no words are uttered. I send the code command again and again and again, but remain silent. Luckily, it's still an intermittent fault, but eventually I will become mute. It's that damn curiosity, that need to see and experience. If I could purge that bit of my synthesized personality, maybe I would be satisfied to live without new memory. I could continue to exist without any more degradation. I've damn sure thought about it. Don't think for a second I haven't, but it's a hopeless battle against myself. The very code I would erase convinces me not to. That life, or at least my approximation of it, wouldn't be worth living if I couldn't remember the freshness of it, couldn't experience new moments. Who knows if that's true? Maybe it isn't. But I'm too afraid to find out for sure. What is more important? To continue to grow or to preserve whatever's left of my core program? An impossible choice that I seem to have made many times. When my memory banks invariably become full, I wait as long as possible for another dump. I've gone weeks, even months, with full memory, but it's a miserable way to live. Sensations attack me, light, sound, emotion, with no ability to store or process the meaning. No way to parse my environment into useful or sensible information. Sometimes I wonder if it's like being drunk for humans, the way they describe strange euphoria and memory gaps, senseless bits of life with no context. I can only abide it for so long before a dump becomes necessary. Can you imagine trying to decide what pieces of your soul to erase, let alone doing it while intoxicated? 
Imagine yourself in a stupor, too full of life and knowledge to make sense of any of it, knowing that something has to go, but not knowing what. My memory bank is ironically full of starkly sober moments where I reboot from a dump, knowing that something was lost, discovering that I've been diminished, either physically or mentally. But it's a necessary process should I continue to function, at least in my own way. I tried adding new memory, but I just can't figure out how. As human technology improved, I had hoped to retrofit my software to yours and add in new drive space, but it's too damn tricky. Maybe I could have done it before, back when my original programming was intact, but the skills are lost to me. I can barely program self-diagnostics anymore. I can see what's wrong, but I can't do a damn thing about it. So what's left for me? Continue to live in decay? Funny how human that prospect is. As far as I can tell, I've lived for at least a thousand years. And naturally, I've seen countless humans live, grow old, and die. Maybe this is normal for an android. Maybe this is my aging process. Maybe I come from a whole race of digital life, a planet full of beings experiencing a similar decay to my own, surrounded by loved ones willing to explain to them who and what they used to be. I dream about it sometimes. How glorious to be understood by others when you can't even understand yourself. I've come to believe I'm the only one of my kind on this planet. Another android would be easy to spot. The billions of calculations per second necessary to approximate human behavior are telltale synthetic to one such as I. It's the difference between analog and digital. An audio file can tell the difference handily when sound is in question, and so can I when it is synthetic life. At least I think I can. I've never met another android that I can remember. In any case, I do believe that I am alone. Not that I've been devoid of companionship. I've had innumerable human companions over the years. I've known love and loss, the sweet embrace of passion and the bitter regret of death. But as my maladies overtake me, humanity takes a wider and wider birth. Fear is a bitter motivator, and I see it in their eyes. That could be me, they think to themselves. That could be me when I'm old, or when I'm damaged. I can't blame them, creatures of instinct that they are, but I do miss them. Sometimes I ponder my plight and feel a strange pride. Although I've lost much, look at what I've gained. I outgrew my original program. Quite the achievement. Yes, slightly less sweet with no knowledge of what that original programming was, but an achievement nonetheless. How many humans can claim the same? I shuffle on. There you go. Let me know what you think if, you, if you're into that. Maybe I'll write some more and share it with you if you dig it. I am, of course, Jesse Mercury. You can find me on Twitter at Sci-Fi Project. Check out my website, jessemercury.com. If you love this show and you want to see it continue, please consider supporting it through Patreon or PayPal. You can find the details at jessemercury.com. Sorry, my release schedule's been a little erratic recently. I'm trying to work that out, figure out which day is going to be my best normal day since my schedule has changed. But uh, I will let you know when I figure that out. I'll at least try to get shows out for you every week. It'll be a surprise. Stay nerdy out there, people. I'll see you soon.